Today we're going to go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 uh, is where we're going to land this morning. We've been um, in this new series, God with Us, and talking specifically, looking at the, the theology of Christmas, or more specifically, the theology of the incarnation, and uh, what it means for God to become human and to come to earth. And uh, today we're going to look at kind of the, the quintessential passage on this issue, on this idea of God coming to earth is here in John chapter 1. And so we're going to work through this this morning together, um, but, but before we dive into that, um, I want to start with a little game this morning. So Kimberly, if you can go ahead and come on up. Uh, Kimberly Wood is going to help us with this. Can you give Kimberly a hand as she comes up to the stage? <clears throat> By the way, uh, Kimberly is going to be leading one of our new small groups that's launching in January, a women's group in the evening this time. And so if you're a lady in the house and you're not in a small group yet, it's a great opportunity for you to plug into a small group. If you're in a current small group and you would love to be, instead of a mixed group, you'd rather be in a, a women's group, this is a great opportunity. We'd love to help you get connected in with that and be a part of that that's going to be launching in January. So excited for that coming up too. But come around here, Kimberly. So we're going to play a little game called What Is It? And what I've got here is I've got three items underneath the tablecloth here. I'm going to show them to Kimberly one at a time. And uh, here, you can hold that. And, uh, and she's going to have going to, to describe to you what it is that's under the curtain, under the tablecloth, and she only can do, give you like one or two sentences. So you get like one shot at this. You don't get to like keep giving clues. Like one clue, like a one to two sentence clue to you of what it is, and then as a congregation, you're going to try to guess what it is that she's describing. Everybody understand the rules? Okay, we all good? All right, here we go. Item number one. Go ahead. Um, it is a sport that is typically played indoors in winter. It has a round shape. <laughs> All right, everybody together. Yeah, great. Good job. Um, it was a basketball, in, in, in fact. It was a basketball. Okay. Scoot on down here, and uh, we'll go for number two. Something that is often uh, received during this time of year or for special celebrations. One, two, three. Okay, I mainly heard gift, which is correct. Whatever else you said, I don't know, but it was wrong. So, good job. Good job with that. All right, come down here. Third one. I expected the first two to be pretty easy, so this one is going to be like, we'll see. Okay. We often use this to describe somebody's physical appearance. We also use it in, like, describing creation. One, two, three. Okay, we even have guesses for that one. Okay, that's, that's good. I expected that. Okay, thank you so much, Kimberly. Can you give her a hand? So first we had a basketball, then we had a gift or a present, and then I had just on a piece, on a whiteboard, I had written the word beauty. So, you can understand why it's more difficult, right? To try to describe or to explain to someone what beauty is, it's hard to put that into words. It's hard to give that a, a sentence definition. It's easy for us to show it maybe through examples, right? Like, this is beautiful, or that is beautiful, or look at this, or look at that. But to describe that in a way that someone can, can understand it or can respond to it is much more difficult because it's, it's more of an idea. Well... The same thing is true of what I wanted to zero in on today. 
what we're going to talk about today is one of the biggest themes in the Bible. And yet, it's extremely hard to describe, define, understand. And that is God's glory. The word glory it seems so ambiguous at times to us. Like we don't, it's hard for us to grasp what is it that it's really talking about. What's it really mean when the Bible says glory? Much like the word beauty. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to start by trying to define it for you, but then I'm hoping to show you it as we walk through the text this morning so that you can actually see it more than just understand it. Okay? Now, to, to try to try to define God's glory, it starts like this. We have to start with one of his primary attributes, which is not glory. It's actually his holiness. God's primarily is holy, meaning he is set apart from everything and everyone else. Right? In other words, God is... Uh, a one of a kind. He is a class into himself. There is none like him. Because of his utter perfection, because of his greatness, because of his surpassing worth above everything else, God is not like us. He is holy. Right? So we start with God's holiness, and then to move to glory, glory is the manifestation of God's holiness. Glory is God coming and showing us who he is, and manifesting his holiness in such a way that we can see and experience and understand it. That's what glory is. It's God revealing himself to us, revealing himself to mankind. And it's a major part and the primary driver of the incarnation of Christmas. Glory is why Jesus came to earth, to show us who God is. And we're going to see that today in John chapter 1, that God came down to show us his glory. And then hopefully we'll understand what that means for us. So let's start in verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the first thing we see here from John, number one, see the image of God's glory in creation. The first thing I want you to do is see the image of God's glory in creation. Now, John starts his gospel with these three words, in the beginning, which are the exact same three words of the first three words of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis starts, right, in the beginning, and then goes on to tell the creation story. John here, he's, he's pointing us back to creation. He's pointing us all the way back. No, actually, he's pointing us back before creation. He's pointing us to the one who existed before anything else was created. He says, before time existed, before anything else existed, in the beginning was the word. Now, the Greek term there behind word is logos, which basically just means knowledge. Okay? But that's not what John's talking about here. He's using this word logos, and he's getting ready to fill it. Think of it as like a container. He's getting ready to fill it with new meaning specifically for the Christian faith. He's going to use this term, and he's going to make it into something new as part of what we believe. And he says, he says four things about the word. He says, in the beginning, the word was. In other words, it just existed. It existed before anything else, before creation, before everything, there was the Word. 
And then he says, and the word was with God, meaning present, meaning that the word had a personal relationship and a personal interaction with God, the divine being. And then he goes on to say, and the word was God. So in its own nature, the word had, was divinity. It had a divine nature in and of itself. So it always existed. It was with God. It was God. And then he says this, he was in the beginning with God. Oh, yeah. So the word's not just a thing. The word's not an idea. The word's a person. It's a he. All right, now we're getting somewhere. And John starts to unpack here the beginning blocks, the building blocks of what we now today call the Trinity. That God didn't exist just as a single being, but he existed as three persons in one. And that second person of the Trinity that we call God the Son has always existed as God, the Word. He goes on to tell us more. He says, and through the Word, through this second person of the Trinity, all things were made through Him. Now, if you read the account of Genesis creation, it says that God spoke all creation into existence. Right? And we speak with words. He spoke specifically with this word. Somehow, he spoke through the person of the second member of the Trinity, the Son, to make all things. They were all made through him, through his being. And without him was not anything made. So he doubles down. He's like, just so in case you didn't understand the first time, nothing was made without him, without the word. This is exactly what Paul tells us as well in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, he says, For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So now we know that the word existed before all things and that he created all things. But he keeps going. And he says, in him was life. Was before anything else existed, before there was any other life anywhere, he was life. He was the self-existent life before creation. This is why we say that God is the origin of all life. It all comes from him, right? It all flows from him. And in him was life, and it says the life was the light of men. Now again, if we have to go back to Genesis here, like John's just pulling all this out of Genesis. And he says, if we go back to Genesis, it says that God made humans different than all other creation. Did you know that? Like, he, like we were his special project in all of creation. And Genesis tells us in, in chapter 1, verse 26, that we are made in his image. Meaning not that we just like physically look like him, but, but we were given part of his divine attributes were imparted to us. Not perfectly, not fully, we're not God, we're not equal to him, but some of his attributes, some of who he is, he put inside of us. That we got part of his image as his sons and daughters. And in Genesis 2, 7... It says that God breathed life into Adam, that he made him out of the dust of the earth, and that he 
breathed, like in, like in a physical way, he breathed life into Adam. It doesn't say that about any other part of creation. All of the creation, he just spoke, it existed, it started breathing, it started doing its thing. But Adam, he took a special moment to stop and to form him and to breathe life, his life, into the one who was going to bear his image. And therefore, as humans, we have a special life connection to God that no other part of creation has. And because of that, Adam was able to talk with God. He was able to have a relationship with God. He was able to interact with God in a way that none of the other creation got to. All because of the life of God was in him. And then John says this, he says, And that light, that life that was the light of man, that light shines in the darkness. Now we get to the ugly part of the story, right? Creation, everything's beautiful, it's all made, God breathes life, it's all going well. And then Adam and Eve choose to sin. They choose to rebel against God. They choose to disobey. They choose to do their own thing. We call that the fall. And then Adam and Eve and all of creation was plunged into darkness. Spiritual darkness flooded all of creation because of sin. And yet in this moment, When God had done everything for them, he had given them everything, and they rejected him, and they turned away, he did not abandon them. He didn't leave them in the darkness. In fact, God promised that that he would bring victory over sin through their offspring. He preached to them what we call the proto-evangelium, the first gospel message. He preached it to to Adam and to Eve and to Satan. They're all there. And he says this in Genesis 3.15. He says, I, I will put anonymity, anonymity sorry, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, God would not forsake the image of his glory that he had put in creation in us. But rather, He would bring it out in an even greater way. That image in us, he would bring out in an even greater way as he used one of us to bring victory over the darkness that we had brought into the world. The image of God still shining through, his glory still shining through humanity, even in our sin and in our rejection and in our failure. You know, there's, there's one item that I'm pretty sure every one of us uses every day, and that's a mirror, right? Now, if we looked around the room, granted, some of us, some of us use it more effectively than others, but, but we all use it in some degree, right? Like, like you, you brush your teeth, you, you fix your hair, you shave, you do, what, you do whatever your thing is. Well, as a guy, I was always kind of under the impression that, like, pretty much all mirrors were created equal. Right, like a mirror is a mirror. Like as long as I can like see which way to comb and make sure nothing's coming out of the wrong places, like then we're we're good. That's all I need to be able to do. But but as I got married, I, I came to find out that, that was definitely not the case. They're all different types of mirrors with different magnifications and different sizes and different types. Men, there's a whole world of mirrors out there that we know nothing about. I'm just gonna be honest with you this morning. Like I it was news to me, and it seems to me it's it's come to me my attention that the most important, the most coveted 
of those mirrors is the illuminated mirror. I have a picture, right? The, the, the light up mirror, because it shines the light on your face so you can see all the stuff that you want to fix, right? That you don't want anybody else to see. You want to see it first, and so you get the light shining, and you can figure it out, and you can get that fixed before you go out and everybody else sees what's going on. The reason it's effective is because of the light. A mirror is only as good as the amount of light that you have to be able to see your reflection in it. Right? Without good lighting, you can't see the image very well. And this is what the Bible is talking about. This is what Paul is talking about when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You see, God, he has put his image in us. God has put a glimpse of his glory in every single one of us. But right now, due to the darkness of sin, in our own hearts, in our own world, and due to the darkness that we are, like, it's hard for us to see the image sometimes. It gets lost. It's dim. We can't see it. It's too dim. But it's there. And John tells us that his light shines in the darkness through his image in us. And so we have to look. We have to know that it's there. We have to look more closely to see his glory in ourselves and in others until we get to see him face to face. It starts, he started his glory in us, his revelation of himself in the image that he put inside of men and women. And so as we start to think about God's glory in this season, I want to ask you this question, how can I see the glory of God in the image of God, in myself and others. It's very easy for us to look at ourselves at times and look at others at times and see all the sin and all the darkness and all the problems and write it off or write people off or turn away, but somewhere in there, somewhere in the middle of all of that, dimly lit, there's an image of God that can shine through. That's where God chose to start revealing himself to us. And we need to see that. We need to look for that. But there's more. Let's keep going. Verse 9. I'm going to skip a few verses here that are about John the Baptist. I want to stick on the word this morning and keep looking at him specifically. So go to verse 9. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Second thing John shows us here is to see the revelation of God's glory in the world. See the revelation of God's glory in the world around us. So he starts off and he says, The true light which gives light to everyone. Now, the true light here is God. That's exactly, no, no doubt about it. He's talking about God here. He says, he is, the, he is the true light. He is the only source of truth. 
And he shines his light of truth on everyone, John says. On everyone. And this forces everyone into a choice. Will they walk in his light? Or will they choose to turn and stay in the darkness? And he does this, he shines this light on all of mankind in several ways that John highlights here in these verses. So let's start with the first one. It says, first of all, he was in the world, and it was made through him. So the first way that God revealed himself was in, and revealed himself in his glory was through his own creation. That we can actually see glimpses of God's glory just by looking around at all the things that he's created, all the beauty that he's made, all the ways that he's revealed himself. We call this general revelation. That God has generally revealed his glory, revealed himself in all the things, not just us, but all the things that he's created. There's several verses that talk about this. Let me give you a couple. Number one, uh, the first one is Romans 1.20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, humans, are without excuse. That every time we see the power of the ocean or the, magni- the magnificence of the mountains or the, the incredible scientific flight of the bird, it's all displaying the glory of God. It's all pointing to the fact that he exists and that he has made these things and there's something greater that we can worship. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So John says he's revealed his glory very plainly in all of his creation, and yet the world did not know him. And we see this play out in the, in, in the history of the Bible. That those earliest generations that followed Adam and Eve, that they continued to walk further and further away from God. Into sin, into darkness. They didn't take advantage of his grace, they continued to turn away, so much so that the world got so dark and there was so much sin, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start over with Noah and his family. I'm going to just go wipe everybody out with the flood. He took out all sin and he starts over again because they refused to turn and to see the glory of God revealed all around them. So then he goes a step further and John says, then after that he came to his own. His own here is Israel. His, his chosen people, the nation that he chose to reveal himself to and to call to himself. And he revealed himself to them even more directly. He, he shined the light even brighter, if you will, on them through things like the promise that he made to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob that they would be a people and they would be his people and they would be blessed if they followed him. And then you have how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt through Moses and then giving them the law and giving them the commandments so they can follow him in glory. He established them and gave them their, their country and their temple under King David, under King Solomon. And then even as they continued to walk away, he continued to reveal himself to them in the warnings and the instructions of the prophets. All along the way, God kept coming to his own. He kept revealing his glory to them. It says, but his own people did not receive him. The ones he chose, the ones he blessed, the ones that he loved, they rejected him. They refused to believe. They continued to to go their own way because of their pride, 
because of their false worship of other things, because of their rebellion against his word, they did not receive him as a whole. But there were some who did. It says, but to all who believed, to all, even in the Old Testament, to all who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. See, it's those who believed him, who believed his word, who believed and followed him with their hearts, that they truly got to experience his glory in their lives. And they got to now have eternity with him. But notice what he says here. He kind of presses in just a little bit. He says, those who believed, not who were born of blood or flesh or man. He's assuring us, listen, the salvation that they got, the glory that they received, it was not because of their genealogy. It was not because of their ethnicity. It was not because of their religious background. It wasn't because they were Jewish or because somebody just put them in the right family. It's because they believed. His glory came not to those who were born of flesh, but those who were born of faith in Him. It's always been that way. still that way today. Faith in God and in the future salvation for them, future salvation for us, current salvation that He has promised and given is what makes us part of the family of God. It's what allows us to receive the glory that God is wanting to shine into our lives. It's through faith. I was thinking about my own life this week and my own story and some of this. And, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't surrender to God's call on my life for vocational ministry until I was nearly 30 years old. And <clears throat> I was already married we had a house, I had a career, I was already on a path, I was already on a trajectory, but God just started kind of honing in on my heart and just calling me to this, and when I finally surrendered to going to full-time ministry, I called to tell my parents separately, my parents uh, are not together anymore, and so I called to co- tell them each separately, and I was, I was kind of shocked that they, they both had the exact same response, almost verbatim. They are like, yeah, I'm not surprised, I always knew you were going to be a preacher. And I was like, what? Like, how did you know? I didn't know. Like, how did you know? And by the way, you could have said something before I spent all this time and money and all these wrong degrees. Okay, that was like, that could have been a whole other thing. But I didn't know it because I didn't see all the ways that God had been revealing himself to me throughout my lifetime. Looking back now, I can see, but back then, I... Like, I was born as a pastor's kid. I was taught the gospel from a very young age. I received Christ when I was five years old, professed him, was baptized. And even back then, my parents told me, back then, you were, you were always saying that you wanted to be a preacher. Like, from, from five years old. But then, like many of us, life happened. Right? And I wandered away from the Lord. I wandered away from the truth. And looking back now, even in my years of of rebellion, and even in my years of strength, like I can see that God never gave up on me. He was always working to reveal his glory to me and to call me back to himself. My parents, their continued faith and their continued faithfulness in front of me, even when I didn't want it, even when I was rejecting it, seeing it in them was God's glory shining into my life. Parents, <laughs> it's tough. But God's shining the light into your kids' lives. 
I remember teachers. I remember other family members. I remember youth leaders that were in a public school. I had teachers who were Christians that were speaking life into me, that God was shining his glory into my life even when I didn't want it. I remember God forcing me to go to a Christian university when I didn't want to, knowing that in a couple years the bottom was going to fall out of my life and I would be surrounded by his people and his glory to call me back to himself. Calling me out of my own besetting sins, cleaning up my heart so I was fit to be used by him and for his mission. Creating a very unexpected and unlikely relationship with a very godly woman who pushed me to grow in my walk and to follow the Lord. Like, looking back now, I see it. Back then, I didn't. Back then, it was unwanted circumstances and, and coincidence and, like, get out of my way. I want to do my own. Like, I didn't see it then, but I see it now. God was always revealing himself. He was always shining his glory into my heart and into my life. It's just like that song that we sing, right? Even, even when we can't see it, he's working. He's working. He's revealing himself. He's shining his glory. He's always shining the light of his glory into the world and into our lives. We just have to wake up and see it. And so, I would challenge you to maybe reflect on that same question. Where have I seen God's glory revealed in my life? Ask yourself. Think back. Not just this week, not just this month, but like in the years that you have been given on this earth, look back and see where has God shined the glory of himself and his light into your life? How has he been working? How has he been bringing you to this place? And what does that mean for your relationship with him? So first we see the glory of God in the image of God that he puts inside of us. Then we see the glory of God shining through his creation and through his, his people around us. And then John really zeroes in on it in verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes before me, I'm sorry, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The last thing John points us to is this. He says, see the fullness of God's glory in Jesus. That God finally brought it to the place. He, he finally revealed the fullness of who he was and his holiness and his magnificence to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He says here, the word became flesh. That is the most clear scripture regarding the incarnation of Christ. John describes here how the second member of the Trinity, the Son, came down to earth, was born, and added humanity 
to his divinity. He didn't give up his divinity. He still was God. He never ceased to be God. We see God's glory continuing to flow from his life through the miracles, through the healings, through the teaching, through all, like, we see, obviously, he is still God. And yet, he chose to come and add humanity to his divinity by being born as the man Jesus of Nazareth. And John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek there, if we translate it more uh, literally, it would be that he tabernacled among us. He tented among us. He camped. All right? But if we go to the Old Testament, we know that the tabernacle there is like a very specific word. For them, that was the place that God gave them, the special tent where he would come down to meet with them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. So God would come down at special times to meet with his people in worship, and then he would go back up. But not anymore. Now God was coming in the person of Jesus to tabernacle among us, to live here, to be with us, to dwell with us, that his presence would always be here. Not just for a moment and then leave again. And he says, because he has come, he has dwelt among us, we have seen his glory from the Father. And remember that word glory is the, is the manifestation of God's holiness. Right? That is what Jesus came to do, to manifest God's holiness on the earth. He came to fully show us who God is. And in doing this, it says, John says, he came full of grace and truth, which is John's kind of shorthand way of getting the gospel in there. Full of grace and truth. That's what the gospel is. The gospel starts with truth. God is holy. He is perfect. He is righteous. Man is sinful. That we have sinful hearts. We do sinful things. We rebel against God. We disobey his word. Just like our father Adam, we're continuing to further sin in the world. The truth is God is holy and we are sinful and therefore death is coming. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. Both physical death and spiritual death are a result of sin. And because we are sinners, death is coming for all of us. That's the truth. But thankfully, the gospel is full of truth and grace. Because God looked down and he saw that truth of our sin. He saw the state we were in and that we couldn't fix it. And he said, in my grace, in my abounding love for you, I'm coming. I'm coming. And he came down in the person of Jesus Christ and he was born as a man to be with us and to save us. He graciously came to pour out his life for us in creation. And he lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he went to the cross, and he died to pay for our sin. That's grace. He was giving us what we didn't deserve. He was giving us his perfect life in place of our sin. And he died, and he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life. To show us that he was God, and to one more time, offer us grace. Saying, if you will turn from your sin, if you will 
leave that life behind and follow me. If you'll love me, if you'll believe in me, I will save you from all of it. I will forgive your sin. I will save you from hell. I will give you a new life. I will give you a new heart. It's all for you. It's all out of my grace for you if you'll just believe. Jesus came to earth as the full revelation of grace and truth. God himself, his character, his heart, his plan to save us, we see it all through the person of Jesus Christ. We see God's glory most clearly and most beautifully in Jesus Christ. His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. John says, we have seen His glory full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and yet no one has ever seen God. Which can be, if you know your Bible, sometimes that can be a little troubling statement for people. Because if we go back in the Old Testament, there were some people who said they saw God. They're like in visions, in theophanies, and some of them did. Not all of them, some did. But they were all glimpses of God. They were not the fullness of God. No one has ever seen God in the fullness of who He is and His full holiness. Only, He says, only Jesus has seen Him. And when Jesus came, He came to make Him known. Finally. Finally, God came to show us the fullness of who He is, to fully reveal Himself to mankind in the only way that we could see it. In the only way that we could finally, truly understand it, He showed us the fullness of His glory in human form. You see, it had to look like us for us to finally grasp the fullness of who God was. There's a, there's a famous Christmas poem. It starts off and it says, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse.'" Right? They're all in bed, they're all asleep, and then later on in the poem it gets to this line. It says, "'When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter.'" Now, I think, I think we've all had that experience, okay? Maybe not on Christmas, all right? Maybe you didn't, maybe Santa Claus didn't fall off your roof or anything, but like, but we've all had the experience where we're in bed, we're dead asleep, like we're in, we're in it, man. And then all of a sudden, loud noise, and we wake up, right? And we're startled, and we don't know what's going on. And when you first wake up, the room is dark, so you can't see anything, right? Like maybe there's a little bit of light shining in the window from the moon or the stars, or we're in the city, from the street lights, let's just be honest. From the street lights, it's kind of shining in a little bit, right? You can kind of make out a little bit in the room, but, but it's dark, and so you can't see it. So what do you do? You reach over, and you turn on the lamp. And now you can see a little more, because there's a little more light in the room. But you can, it's still kind of only around the lamp, right? Like the, the far corner of the room is still dark. I, can't, I still can't see over there. The, the closet, for sure, that's still dark. I can't see that. And so you can't see it all. The only way you're going to see the fullness of what's happening in that room is to get up, go over, and turn on the light switch. but you're hesitant. Because you, you want to know, but you also, you, you, you kind of don't, right? Like, 
Like there might, when you, there might be something you don't want to see. There might be someone you don't want to see, right? And so, so you lay there for a moment in the darkness thinking like, if, if, I just, if I just stay here in the darkness, maybe, maybe it'll go away. Maybe I, maybe, maybe I won't have to, maybe it, it won't really be there. It won't be real. But it is. And eventually, the light's going to shine in. And eventually, you're going to have to deal with the fullness of whatever that is. Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, Jesus was the light switch. Up to that point, there had been some light, there had been glimpses of light, there, God had been shining in different ways to try to show us, but we couldn't fully see it until Jesus came and showed the fullness of all that it was. He showed us truth and he showed us grace. He showed us sin and he showed us forgiveness. He showed us the fullness of who God was and how that, what that made us in his presence. And because of that light that John says shines on all men, we all have a choice to make. We have to do something with what we've seen, with what has been shown to us. Either close our eyes and continue to try to live in the darkness and just pretend that it's not there, or look into the fullness of the glory of God and let Him change your heart and change your life and forever be rescued from the darkness. You have a choice. We all have a choice. So how will you respond to the light of Christ? That's ultimately the question of Christmas. The light has come and has shone into the darkness. It has revealed the fullness of who God is and the glory of his presence and the weight and the dark and the, and the mess of our sin. And now we have to figure out how am I going to respond to the light of Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. God came down to show us His glory. Through Jesus' birth, it's like God pulled back the curtain to show us, to unveil the fullness of His glory for all of the world to see. And so this Christmas, let's open our eyes Let's look into the fullness of the glory of God and bask in the light of his glory and grace. This is what he's given us. This is the greatest gift we've ever received. Let's worship him as our king who came to earth to declare his glory and to show us his great name. Let's gaze into the king of glory and be changed by who he is. Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done in this place. Lord, I know that you've already touched so many hearts right here in this room. Lord, that you've already revealed yourself to them, but give us, give us a, a fresh glimpse of your glory this morning. God, I pray that you would just continue to to reveal yourself to us in even greater ways. Lord, I know we don't deserve it. 
I know we haven't turned anything to earn it, Lord, but we need it. Every day, Lord, we need to look. Lord, thank you. Come down and show us your glory. Lord, we are lost. We are blind. We are groping around in the darkness without Jesus. Lord, come and show us your glory. Lord, we confess before you afresh. You are the king of glory. You are the king of majesty. You are the king of heaven and earth. Let your glory reign in our lives today. Let's pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ.